Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hey, welcome to the American Liberties, the Wednesday night call. And, uh, you know, a lot of you have got my email today. And those who haven't had a chance yet to open it, it was a um, an email that I found that I sent back in 2000, I don't know, 11, maybe, or no, 2013, it had to be, 2013, where um, uh, Justice Scalia was being interviewed and by C-SPAN. And one of the things that caught my attention in this video and in the article that I had sent out at that time is very much relevant today, is that Judge Scalia said he has applauded how the students get out of school, meaning high school, colleges, and law school without ever reading the Federalist Papers. In fact, students should not get out of high school without knowing what the Founding Fathers' intent was. Justice Scalia also commented on that letter of the law is the letter of the law and the statutes ought to be applied as written. And also Judge Scalia, if ever I had said, he also said, uh, if I ever had to pick a judge, he would replace a judge, a guy named Frank H. Easterbrook, who was a longtime friend of his and colleague and uh, felt the same way um, that that um, he did. And getting up around the part 28, uh, excuse me, <laughs> getting up to about uh, 28 minutes into the one-hour interview where he covers how statutes should be reasonably interpreted versus strict construction, which is a lot of what I believe is what Dave talks about. Strict construction, as David, I mean, as um, Justice Scalia, or Justice David, uh, no, Justice Scalia said, you know, you can't, uh, uh, the law says you, uh, not to put your hands on a priest. Well, that didn't mean, you know, if strict construction, that would mean you couldn't shake hands with him or pat him on the back for doing a good job. And, and reasonably constructive would mean that, you know, the intent was, you know, not to do violence, like slap him up upside the head or something like that. So reasonably interpreted versus strict construction was a lot was a pretty good piece in that interview. And this is why I'm so glad and thankful that David 
had made an interpretation of the code, had, you know, in the 58-page memorandum, and for those who are on the call that have not joined the criminal complaint, as the subject of this call is tonight, protect yourself. That's why you should join to protect yourself. You know, I always say there's no guarantees in life after death, except for uh, after birth, except for death. And if you know Christ, you got that beat. Because, and as David says, you can't predict corruption. They could totally ignore everything and just, you know, and and as judges do, you can't admit this in the evidence, you can't admit that in the evidence. But then they're really, really going way, way overboard, and the chances of that happening is not too likely. Though I'm not saying it won't happen or it can't happen, it's just not likely. They, you know, because there are courts, higher courts will overturn because you wasn't able to produce evidence. And the reason you'll be able to produce this evidence is because it's on the public record, meaning you gave it to the IRS, you gave it to you, you submitted your affidavit in Congress, and so they have it. And if you sent it to judges like I did, you know, and and um, I can't believe sometimes and I don't mean to be mean by saying this that people will call up. And I give them the instruction, you know, send it to everybody you think it's applicable, including, you know, judges, prosecutors, you know, the sheriff, the governor, every, let everybody know and keep a record of everybody you sent it to. It's to your benefit, okay? So, um, so they can't say you had a willful failure to file when you told them, Here is my interpretation, and you can call it your interpretation because you're paying the price, all right? You submitted it to Congress. You took on, this is is my interpretation because I agree with it. And um, so, you know, send it to every district judge. If, If you're in a district like I am, I got a... You know, the district, Southern District, Central District of Florida is a pretty, it covers seven counties. And so there's a lot of judges. But I just put all one in one package at one time. I, I, I found all the judges on the internet. I loaded the envelope up with each individual packet and put the judge's name on the packet and sent it one time certified mail to the clerk of the court because what's her job what well, I say her what's the job of the clerk of the court is to be the clerk of the court to distribute information relative information to all the judges and there was a precipice on you know what to do with 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 each and every end of envelope never heard a word but then when it came time and I stood in front of the judge, I said, Judge, I find it interesting on two different occasions, because it wasn't my first time. On two different occasions, I sent you a copy of the criminal complaint that I sent to Congress, and you seem to ignore that. 
but become complicit to these, and I pointed to the individual standing be or sitting behind me, to their criminal ac- activity. And she froze. I mean, she literally, back went straight up. She turned around to her computer, and she said, you could handle that in June. And and for eight years, I never thought about it until one time I repeated this on a call. And Davis said, and here she was, the jury, had, the grand jury haven't even indicted me. And she's predicting that I'm going to be back in court in June. These people are evil. And what and and what you need to do, what you need to do with these evil people is treat them like evil vampires, you know, you know, get get that cross and show it to them, and um, you know, or, or drive a whatever kind of a stake through through their heart, but um, you need you need to protect yourself, people. You really do so. If you haven't been a criminal complainer yet, uh, if you haven't joined it, I, I would exercise caution and and um, and think about it and make a decision to join. And with that being said, I'd like to introduce the one that I met in 2006 after going through all the things that I'm hearing today about, you know, the the United States is a corporation. And, and I'm not arguing that it isn't. You know, I mean, you, you, give, you, you, you know, I will agree to all the stuff that the people are telling me. You got to get into the private. You got to get out of the public. And, and it's a corporation. And, they, and all the courts are, are separate corporations. They are. You can, you can look up the EIN numbers and or whatever it is, and that's fine. That's great. But if you're going to come at me with a charge, and you're going to, and you're coming at me with the statutes, and you're and you're claiming that I am subject and liable for attacks, Congress, by the Sixteenth Amendment, is the only one, and that Sixteenth Amendment did not change. Any other amendment, it didn't. It didn't override any other amendment. It didn't uh, take the, you know, the position of any other amendment. It says that Congress has power to lay and collect taxes, not not the secretary's mother, not the agent's mother, grandmother. It's Congress, so it's still a tax. By representation, and if there is no representation by Congress, and and they don't name a statute, they only name a regulation that that's that, that does not qualify. And when I brought this in front of the grand jury with more questions like that, I never heard back from them. Not that I didn't hear back from the IRS ten years later. But I never heard, I didn't get indicted, and that's most important. I didn't have to write my my wife and children letters from prison. So with that, I'd like to introduce Dave Maryland. 
Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Yeah, um, it is evil. And uh, it's the first thing that struck me when Chris said that. The judge says, well, you can take care of that in June. Excuse me, but I haven't even been indicted yet. Doesn't stop everything right there. Doesn't that just make you uh, stop and wonder? Excuse me. I haven't even been indicted yet, and this judge just turned to her computer and said something's going to happen in June. It was already on her calendar, meaning somebody had to have already informed the court, we'll have this guy indicted and we want him prosecuted in June. If you were to sit in a corner with a dozen rappers and you all thought and thought and wrote down your notes for five years about the worst things you can call somebody for years. This is the only thing you did with the scum of the earth as company. And you wrote down all the worst things in the world you knew to call somebody, whether you're you're a, a nice gentle person that would constrain your language, you know the people that you're with would not. The scum of the earth. And when you look at all those and they all seem like a compliment, you're looking for the word tyrant. Tyrant. That's the uh, the best uh, description of government in the United States. Municipal, state, and fed tyrants and uh i w- my dog wouldn't let them feed my dog that's how low they are if you were to go to google.com and do a search for legal citation you'll come up with all kinds of free guides on how to interpret uh or how to cite case law Now, where all the commas go, the the parentheses, and uh, the different words they use to, uh, like if uh, if you're reading a brief and it says uh, the tax must be imposed by clear language, and then a couple cases are cited, and uh, let's say a quote is taken out of one of those cases, but there are a couple of others that people could go see you would then say, period, accord, comma, and then cite those cases. Accord means you might also see these other cases that pertain to the same topic. Um, Let's see. On on Google, and I'm doing a search for canons of statutory construction. And here you'll find a ton of free articles on uh, how to interpret statute, the ways, the very particular ways you're supposed to view a statute. Chris started his call today with uh, strict construction versus reasonable construction. And uh, in regards to tax statutes, they're always strictly construed. Uh, never loosely. Um, 
and the uh, Section 83 is no exception. And uh, also, um, Section 1 of the tax code does not mention anybody's citizenship, and so to presume they meant citizen of the United States is a stretch, an impermissible stretch. It's strictly construed. Where do you see citizen of the United States in Section 1? And the Section 83 argument has been in court, and I already received the answer from the government. What the answer was not is that the statute only applies to restricted uh, property. Restricted property means property you can't exercise ownership over, yet it has restrictions on it. And the statute does not say if in connection with the performance of services restricted property is transferred, it says if in connection with the performance of services property is transferred. And so to read restricted into it is a voluntary additional proviso, uh, which is impermissible. And also, the courts have already dealt with whether or not it applies to restricted stock plans only or to all property transferred in connection with the performance of services. And they say, universally, all property, all property. And what tax court and appellate courts do not deny, because I've been on both of those levels many times, they don't deny Section 83 applies to all property transferred for services actually performed by a corporation or a self-employed individual or an employee. Never has anybody denied that. The, um, uh, it applies to all compensation of whatever nature. None of them have ever denied that. So anyone that has a contrary explanation or interpretation of Section 83, uh, the government needs you desperately because they can't come up with a different interpretation of Section 83. Their only way, and this, this is the Fourth Circuit Court, says based on tax court, we agree. And tax court had said, you didn't buy your labor before you sold it, meaning your labor is free to you. And so you don't have a cost in your labor. You didn't buy your labor before you sold it, and so you can't claim it as a cost. And the argument against that is where in 1.83-3G, which says the amount paid is the value of any money or property paid, where's your authority to exclude labor from any money or property? They can't answer you. It's a policy. We simply exclude labor because you didn't buy it before you sold it even though the regulation says any property. That's the answer to Section 83. But we know the government's wrong because of all those cases at the bottom of the federal income taxation page on wevgov.com where the term any is always construed as all-inclusive unless the law provides for an exception. Checkmate. So the only way in the 90s when all this litigation took place 
The only way to dispose of the argument was an arbitrary exclusion of labor from the definition of amount paid, which is any money or property. And these cases on how to interpret, how to read, basically, these cases about how to read uh, and the term any property, all of these cases say it includes everything unless the law makes an, an exception to it. Where's the law that allows you to exclude labor from any money or property? And they'll penalize you for asking. When in fact, all these cases, and I mean, there's a boatload of them. And the, uh, there's a paragraph that begins with up to date in red. And all I've cited there are 2013, 14, and 15 appellate cases and district court cases that cite U.S. versus Gonzalez from 1997 in the Supreme Court saying any means all of it. But if I went all the way back to 1987 and cited all the appellate cases that cite Gonzalez, I could probably fill this whole page up. So it's universal. But getting back to Section 83 and whether or not it applies to all compensation, uh, there are people who get hung up on the term restricted property. The name of the public law where you find Section 83 is called restricted property. And the main impetus behind Congress's enactment of Section 83 was to deal with creative compensation packages that employers used to compensate employees or other companies. And there they were paying restricted stock options and other restricted property, meaning if you perform these services, we'll give you a stock, but you can't touch the stock for two years. Uh, some people, I'm sure, said, hey, pay me in stock that I can't touch for two years because then the tax advantages would be bigger if they received the money in the future but performed the services today. And so it's restricted. I can't touch it yet. I have no beneficial ownership rights in the property. It's not vested to me yet. And therefore, it's not taxable to me yet unless I ask the government to tax it today at today's value. Section 83B. We're talking about Section 83A. 83A is about all property transferred. 83B is about restricted property. Now, understand, I've read well in excess of 4,000 cases. Almost all of them. If you looked at the, I don't keep track, of course, but the vast majority, uh, leaving maybe only 2%, uh, the vast majority of those cases were federal appellate cases and U.S. Supreme Court cases where they discussed the canons of statutory construction and interpretation all the time. And I was done with this interpretation of Section 83 by early 1993. And so I've had 23 years to think about it. So... 
somebody with that much case law under their belt has had 23 years to think about this, and I'm perf- and I've been up against the government a bunch of times with this argument, rebutting what the government says in their motions to dismiss, uh, in court, in court, and in court, and never has the government made the arguments that some people make against the statute that it only applies to restricted property. The government agrees to all of this. It simply and arbitrarily excludes labor from the term any property. So let's say it only applied to to a restricted property. Well, how does it operate? Well, it obviously says that only the excess over the amount paid is gross income. So if I get paid in stock, I don't owe anything on the stock because it was paid to me uh, for services I performed, but if I get paid in cash, then I do have to pay taxes on it. That's an impractical interpretation, uh, an absurd end that people that get paid in restricted stock and get the stock later get credit for their labor, any property, as a cost. But people that don't get paid in restricted stock don't get to receive credit as a cost for their labor. It's an absurd end, I think. Absurd conclusion. Uh, the Supreme Court would use the term absurd in that uh, at that juncture, as they have in many other instances. And so I've looked in depth uh, ad nauseum into the language and meaning of Section 83 before the second quarter of 1993, and I've had 26 years to think about it. So uh, don't get hung up on the word restricted property. That's 83B. 83A, all the case law on the bottom of page, uh, wevgov.com federal income taxation page, says expressly as early as 1979, Tax Court, Cohn versus Commissioner, while restricted stock plans involving employers and employees may have been the primary impetus behind the enactment of Section 83, the language of the section covers the transfer of any property transferred in connection with the performance of services. The legislative history makes clear that Congress was aware that the statute's coverage extended beyond restricted stock plans for employees. And then it cites the House and Senate reports uh, the regulations state that Section 83 applies to employees and independent contractors. There is no question but that under the foregoing circumstances, these regulations are not unreasonably and plainly inconsistent with the revenue statutes. Consequently, they are sustained. So basically, all in one paragraph, the doubts of any person that has looked at my interpretation and looks the other way saying, because of these things, Dave is wrong. Right there in one paragraph, you really get a great summary of why I read Section 83 the way I read it. And when the government responds, it's absurdity as a blanket rule. Uh, Here in Talmadge versus Commissioner, 
1995. And anybody that has the uh, the congressional complaint and supplemental memorandum, you see this uh, this excerpt dealing with Section 83 from Tax Court. Since he paid nothing for his labor, his cost and thus his basis are zero. So we've looked at the statutes. They even mentioned Section 1011, 12, and Section 1001. And they mentioned Section 83. They looked at all of them. And they said, the fault in your argument is that you didn't buy your labor before you sold it. Since he paid nothing for his labor, his cost, and thus his basis, are zero. But the regulation says your cost is the value of any money or property paid. Steve Talmadge met me when he had a November 2005 tax court hearing looming. It was imminent. He was like two weeks away from his tax court hearing. And he had already argued non-resident alien in a brief. Okay? And so I cranked out my boilerplate brief real fast to fit his, uh, his tax court uh, action. And he submitted my briefing as well, saying if I'm not a non-resident alien, well, here's Section 83. And this was their answer. And the Fourth Circuit, I wrote his appeal to the Fourth Circuit, probably the first appeal I wrote in my life. And the Fourth Circuit said, uh, let's see, um, oh, November, uh, I can't remember, I think it was November 3rd, uh, 2005, in open court, uh, I said, if worse comes to worse and they're hammering on you, tell the court, I'll concede all facts of the case today if they'll just tell me how to comply with Section 83. He said that in open court, and they penalized him 6500 bucks for it, when in fact, their exclusion of the value of labor from any property paid is arbitrary, which is impermissible. And uh, this Fourth Circuit says, we affirm based on the reasoning of tax court. So the answer, if you think I'm wrong about Section 83, the answer is Talmadge versus Commissioner, that you didn't buy your labor before you sold it. The answer is not, well, it's restricted property. And we know how defective tax court's answer was. The worker's cost for his services and thus his basis is zero not their fair market value. The worker's cost for his services. What did my services cost me? Nothing. I didn't buy them before I sold them. The worker's cost for his services, and thus his basis or his cost, zero. Not the amount he received for it, not their fair market value. That's the only answer. And it's what the appellate court wrote as uh, an affirmation. We agree with tax court. Based on the reasoning of tax court, we affirm. And now we know, because I taught them how to read with all those cases about the term any property, that the only basis on which the government disposed of the argument is faulty. It's an arbitrary exclusion from the term any property. It can't be arbitrary. The law has to provide that you can make the exclusion. So uh, it's really 
much more simple than uh, what can happen to somebody looking at this when they get trapped in the regulations and they start dicing things and they get distracted by, you know, think of it. They aren't going to say outright, your labor is your cost. They're going to hide the maxims to their best ability. And you have to apply Section 1012. Your cost is cash or other property. And it doesn't say anything about restricted property. So don't let the language of Section 83 swamp you. I've already done a ton of work on this and had 23 years to think about my conclusion about the statute. So now on uh, YouTube, uh, the audio seminar on, or the interview on TalkShoe.com, 59615, uh, the interview I did in February uh, with Kurt Riggin is now posted on my YouTube channel. And you can get to YouTube by going to wevgov.com, get into the website, and you'll see at the top left menu column a link that says YouTube 2. Click on that, and it's on YouTube as well now. And tonight, as a matter of fact, I just put the finishing touches on a 29-page review of Section 83 and all the relevant authorities. And I'm going to narrate that tonight and post a YouTube screen capture video, and I'll scroll through those 29 pages of authorities slowly and uh, take you to the uh, to the logical conclusions regarding Section 83, so you can see it in video. And it, it'll basically be uh, an expansion of wevgov.com at the bottom of the uh, federal income taxation page. Section 83 takes up the bottom third or quarter of that page. It'll be a review of that and an expansion of that, but it'll fall far short of what you get if you were to get the code breaker, the Section 83 equation manual. So it's in between. And uh, there's a guy that forwarded to me a legal opinion from his attorney about Section 83, and uh, he got stuck with the... uh, the term restricted property and a particular regulation that I've always cited saying 83 applies to all all compensation. And I cite that regulation and the case law. And he cites that regulation saying it doesn't apply to all compensation. So one of us is wrong and I've got all the case law on my side and he doesn't cite any case law on his side. So and as I've stated before, when I stumbled across Section 83, because I read the tax code, uh, the first thing I did was shut down my word processor and went to the University of Washington. Some people are going, what the hell is a word processor? Yeah, I was in the Stone Age, 1992. And I went to the University of Washington Law Library and looked up, it had to be 80 cases about Section 83, probably more, and I read all those cases. And nowhere in those 80 cases did I find a case and said, well, because of this regulation, Section 83 only applies to restricted uh, property. Uh, All I found were cases in my favor. So anyway, the review I'm going to tape tonight um, in a corner. I have to get it done right away. And I'm going to reflect on this legal opinion from an attorney. 
And uh, not that I need to. You see the case law for yourself on the federal income taxation page of the uh, wevgov.com. And uh, the questions posed by a particular individual that is perplexed by the language of Section 83. Now, uh, Chris has confessed that uh, he finds it very hard to digest the language of Section 83 as well, and he listens to me on these calls pick through the language very carefully so that you don't get uh, distracted and you end up focusing on just the important parts. And then when you sort it out, uh, it really makes sense, it makes fantastic sense. Um, let's see. Yes, I arrived on the call with nothing really I wanted to talk about specifically. Um, the uh, I'm going to be doing more videos for YouTube over the next two weeks, so keep your eyes peeled for uh, new features on YouTube too. And if some, let's see here, if I were to go like this, I'm talking about this YouTube page. And if you're on just the phone, you won't get this, but you already know about my videos. There you go. And uh, welcome to the call, South Carolina. Uh, by the way, if you're a a if you're an original plaintiff on the South Carolina lawsuit that we're I'm dying to get filed, you need to make sure Chris receives via email your entire congressional joinder, your affidavit of joinder filed with 80 members of Congress, you have to get that scanned in its entirety in PDF format and get it to Chris. Chris says he's going to comment about that. So uh, what I want to do is go on record, just like I did at the beginning of the case filed last May in South Dakota, I want to go on record first with not just the lawsuit, but with a huge record behind it showing all in one place that everybody's a joiner to the congressional complaint, that uh, we have this controversy, we've been trying hard, uh, this complaint to Congress is 10 years old now, and I want to put all that evidence in one place. So we have to start the lawsuit with a bunch of affidavits of joiner that belong to the uh, I don't know, there might be eight original plaintiffs on this action. So you want to get those to Chris uh, just as soon as you can. And then we're back in court asking them, is the government going to go on record with its own interpretation of Section 83, or do I have to scream and shout? And they won't. They refuse. They will not talk about Section 83, even though I sued the government for proof. It applies to... Uh, uh, that Section 83 operates this way, and even though I sued for proof the tax code applies to Americans, they can't debate me on four or five statutes. Now, a particular case really sums it up from an angle that's terrible for the government. You have all these cases that say, uh, tax must be imposed by clear and unequivocal language. Where the construction of a tax law is doubtful, the doubt is to be resolved in favor of whom upon which the tax is sought to be laid. A bunch of them say that. The easiest one to remember is Hassett versus Welch, 303 U.S., 303. 
but there's a bunch of other cases. And if you have my 58-page memorandum, you already have those cases cited in there. This one, this case I'm going to read to you here, or just it's a quote from this case, is right on point. And I think I mentioned it last Saturday on my call on 59615, the Kreitzer decision, United States versus Kreitzer, C-R-I-T-Z-E-R. And in there, it's a tax evasion case, tax code section 7201, tax evasion. And this is an an instance where uh, a person had, um, I think they made money illegally because the case is about a split in the Supreme Court. In one particular year, uh, the Supreme Court said proceeds from extortion and embezzlement are not gross income because you owe that money back to the person you stole it from. You don't have rights to that property, and so it's not gross income. And then a couple of justices left the court, and a couple of others were nominated and appointed to fill the vacancies. And thereafter, the Supreme Court said proceeds from extortion and embezzlement are gross income. So they changed their mind. And in the middle, between those two uh, postures, uh, a couple of years might have lapsed. And between those two, this person committed what the Department of Justice says was tax evasion. And they argued, hey, who can tell? The court says one thing this time and the other thing the other time, and we're in between. And so the Fourth Circuit in 1974 in United States versus Cryer, they overturned Amy Kreitzer's conviction, saying, listen to this. This is great. It's about willfulness. It's about void for vagueness. In one sentence, in a tax evasion case, quote, where the law is vague or highly debatable, a defendant actually or imputedly lacks the requisite intent to violate it. Imputedly means uh, falsely, meaning they're a defendant actually or if they're a defendant even falsely, regardless of whether they actually did it or whether they're falsely accused, a defendant lacks the requisite intent to violate the law if the law is vague or highly debatable. And what this requires is about the first prong of willfulness. Willfulness is having a legal duty, knowing and believing you have the duty, and failing to perform the duty. Three things. The middle one, believing you have a duty. I don't believe I have a duty. I'm John Cheek. I'm Lloyd Long. I'm Bernice Kuglin. I don't believe I have a duty. And the jury said, this person doesn't believe they have a duty. Therefore, they're not guilty. This decision, Kreitzer, however, is about whether or not you have a duty to believe in in the first place. Because it says, where the law is vague or highly debatable, you lack criminal intent or you're not willful. So if you argue law first and it's vague or highly debatable, you can't believe you have a duty. 
period. The question is over. We don't even get to the conduct of the defendant because the law is vague. You can't enforce a vague law because no one can violate a vague law. You cannot have criminal intent when the law is vague or highly debatable. And so it's over with the first question. Where the law is vague or highly debatable, a defendant actually or imputedly lacks the requisite intent to violate it. Conviction vacated. A great case. I'm relying uh, upon it in this review I'm going to do on Section 83 uh, tonight with my screen capture software and post it to uh, YouTube. Highly debatable. Well, yeah, the government won't even go on record with its own interpretation of Section 83 at the same time the government says in Internal Revenue Ruling 2007-19 and in appellate cases in tax court, Section 83 provides for the determination of what is to be included in gross income when property is transferred in connection with the performance of services to an independent contractor or employee. That's right out of Revenue Ruling 2007-19. And they won't even interpret it? I think it's vague or highly debatable. Yes, I do. Checkmate. It's at least debatable. Section 83 is off limits. You can't have it. We won't talk about it. In 2008... In uh, U.S. versus Warner, it was um, filing false tax returns, uh, maybe tax evasion, mail fraud, because the guy mailed his tax returns to the federal government, uh, to the IRS, whatever. And so they really jacked up a whole ton of charges on the guy. Nice old man up in Alaska. Uh, He flew Chris up there to help him. And I was in Seattle here writing the pleadings. Uh, to fire his appointed counsel, to get new counsel, and to file a bunch of evidence onto the record with motions to dismiss. One of them was based on Section 83. And here's the only thing they said about Section 83. In 2008, 15 years after they began receiving the briefing of Section 83, And when they received the briefing, of course, it started a fight, and they would write rebuttal, and then I would write responses to the rebuttal. So everything's very clear. They know exactly what the claim is. I've been deprived of the provisions of Section 83, 212, 1011, and 12. That's the claim. And this is their response. This is the correct response because the court said, yep, based on that, Here's what the government said. The basis for his challenge appears to be akin to the wages are not income or fair market value exchange argument that has been rejected for decades. No, it doesn't appear to be that. It is very specific. I'm not saying my wages are not income. I'm saying you deprived me of Section 83. I'm saying Section 83 says that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that Section 83 says that. It's a statute. And they jump right over the statute to point to a whole bunch of tax protester cases cases made about 
the constitutional right to free labor and it's an equal exchange, me and my employer, when 61A says gross income means all income except as otherwise provided. You have to prove that it's provided. And none of those people proved that it was provided. They simply said it's the way it should be based on the Constitution, based on right to free labor. You have to prove it's provided or you'll get dragged into Section 61A and you can't get back out. Well, they jump over Section 83 and don't even mention it to say, here's all the case law from tax protester cases that say these people are wrong when they say wages are not income. Well, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that Section 83 says wages aren't income. Way different. Totally different. So once again, the basis for his challenge appears to be akin to the wages are not income or fair market value exchange argument that has been rejected for decades. The Supreme Court has defined income as the gain derived from capital, from labor, or from both combined. See Eisner versus Macumber. Section 61A of Title 26 of the United States Code defines gross income as all income from whatever source derived, including, number one, compensation for services. Wages or salaries received in exchange for services rendered are income that must be reported on a tax return. See Glen, uh, Commissioner versus Glenshaw, 1955, Commissioner versus Smith, 1945, U.S. versus Romero, 1981, Ninth Circuit. Courts uniformly interpret income to include wages and salaries. Connor versus Commissioner, Second Circuit, 1985, quote, the argument that they are not has been rejected so frequently that the very raising of it justifies the imposition of sanctions. The argument that payments for services can only be taxed to the extent that the fair market value of the compensation exceeds the value of services, which the defendant specifically makes, is also frivolous. See U.S. versus Burris, Ninth Circuit, 1980. End quote. That's the entire reply to Section 83 argument. In Alaska, did you hear him mention Section 83A? or Section 1011 and 12, or Section 212? No. Did you hear them mention 1.83-3E, F, and G, and 1.83-4B2, 1.1001-1A, 1.1011-1A, and 1.1012-1A? No. They simply stand back and say, because of all these tax protester cases where Section 83 wasn't even mentioned, you're wrong. So those cases were decided on different evidence, on flawed evidence. 61A says, except as otherwise provided. You have to prove it's provided. That means statute, period. And that's what Section 83 does. And here's the answer when you raise Section 83. They say, Section 61A of Title 26, all income from whatever source derived, well, it starts by saying, except as otherwise provided. Except as otherwise provided includes Section 212. In the case of an individual, there shall be allowed as a deduction all ordinary necessary expenses paid or incurred in the production and collection of income. 151D and 63C, your personal exemption and standard deduction. 162, I can deduct the cost of doing business. 163, I can deduct the interest paid on my mortgage. 
164, I can deduct the amount I paid in certain state taxes, except as otherwise provided. Now, another curious thing about Section 61A is 61B. Cross-references for items specifically included in gross income, see Part 2, Section 71 through, 19, uh, through Section 90. 71 through 90. 83 is in the, in the middle of those. Once again, 61B. For items specifically included in gross income, see section 71 through 90. 83 is in there. And 83 describes what is to be specifically included in gross income according to 61B. How about that? For items specifically excluded from gross income, see section 101 through 140. I don't need to. Section 83 explains how to tax my paycheck. And so I go to section 83 to see what is specifically included in gross income, only the excess over the amount paid. I have to violate section 83 to do it their way. And they can't argue with me. They had a chance to go on record again last May when we filed that lawsuit in South Dakota with their own interpretation of Section 83. They can't. And I, I just, with all that gravity, it's one thing to disagree with me. It's another thing to be flippant or curt with me when you do disagree with me when I have a mountain of proof in my favor and I've been up against the government with it, and the government can't do anything but run from it, and the government does not cite Talmadge versus Commissioner, even though it was an appellate court victory for them, because the Talmadge decision reveals that they simply exclude labor from any money or property as a policy. They don't do it with the permission of the law, and the term any is all-inclusive. They have to have permission in law to provide an exclusion, and they don't. It's a policy. We're taxed under a policy that places the value of our labor not in the cost column, as the tax code does, but in the profit column. It's the entire difference between having a free paycheck and a taxed paycheck, and it's a policy alone. It is not the law that operates to take our paycheck from the cost column and put it in the profit column, or our fees, our self-employment income, our uh, gains derived from business. We don't get consideration of our labor through a policy they have. We aren't going to include it in cost because you didn't buy it before you sold it. Well, where's your permission to do that? The law says my cost is any money or property. Here's your, here's your penalty. Good luck on appeal. That's the punchline. They truly believe it's their job to steal you blind because none of this matters when you raise the issue. None of it matters. You will lose. They will get your money, and there's nothing you can do about it. The law will be set aside because our government is a bunch of rapists. That's all they are. They believe 
that their job is to steal from you. And in the big picture, uh, fight for your country. Your country is gone. Has been for decades. America is not a country. America is an open sewer surrounded by razor wire where the government steals you blind all day, every day. They own a part of you through extortion and racketeering. That's not a country. Hey, Chris, question and answer. Okay. Uh, anybody that has any questions on the telephone, just hit star, uh, star 8 to raise your hand. And uh, and I want to say that um, I think I'm going to uh, I'm going to put out an email probably tomorrow, scheduling to find out first who wants to get on the testimony call. I'm ready to do that, and I'll probably set it up for Saturday, say at one o'clock Saturday afternoon. Um, I will determine. I got to check with my better half to see if we have anything scheduled but right now i want to set it for saturday at one o'clock and um uh so i'll send out an email tomorrow to see who wants to participate and then i'll follow up with some other stuff uh, but and i also would like to have the door closed anybody that's listening to this call or going to be listening to this call by Monday, the door will be closed to join the criminal uh, to be a plaintiff. I mean, you can be a joiner, you know, later, you know, by affidavit, but to be a plaintiff, which gives you a little bit more uh, standing. Um, yeah, you'll actually be mentioned in the caption of the lawsuit that way. Yeah. Um, the... Uh, uh, It'll be closed. The door will be closed by by Monday, by say Sunday at midnight or something. If I don't have something when I turn on my email Monday morning, the door is closed. So anybody wants to join that, get with me. If you're not, if you have not joined a criminal complaint, pretty much by this time, you, you're going to be running too late. Because we need to get this complaint done and in, and and uh, and I believe I got a good handle on everybody's joiner. Uh, but I'm going to go through it tomorrow and find out what I do and don't have. So, outside of that, is there any questions? Okay, uh, guest four on the board says, except as otherwise provided. Is that located in 61A? Those are the first words of that statute, except as otherwise provided by this subtitle. That means you have to honor the exceptions. If exceptions exist, you don't go to 61A. Except as otherwise provided, gross income means everything. Well, here's an exception over here. Well, then we can't go to 61A yet, can we? No, we can't. Right. Which means... Basically, 61A is not really even a definition, even though it's cited as a definition by the government and everything, and the Patriot Movement has always been unable to cite an exception to it. It's cited as a definition, when in fact, if there are exceptions, then it's not a definition at all. 
That's true. Yeah, I mean, you know, the dog is uh, has this is this, except if, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, any other questions, comments, or statements? Hearie, hearie. Bring it on. If it's okay, then what is it? It's a term. And what is what? It's, uh, a, it's it's a burden of proof statute. That's all. Okay. It is the statute that makes you the plaintiff in tax court. You've never heard anybody else say this. Gross income means everything, uh, citizen breath, unless you can prove otherwise. And then they push the tax code and the regulations across the table to you saying, go for it. Here's your notice of deficiency. You got 90 days to petition tax court. And unless you can identify the exception, you pay a tax on everything you receive because you haven't proven that the tax code provides otherwise. And so you can sue us in tax court. Gross income means everything except as otherwise provided. They don't have to talk about it and they simply throw you into the middle of the tax code and you can sue us. And when I sued them through all these clients I had in the uh, early 90s, it was a matter of how does Section 83 operate in your conclusion, I owe a tax on my paycheck. They said, well, you didn't buy your labor before you sold it, and so it's not a cost to you. Well, I got this regulation here that says any money or property is my amount paid, and Section 83 says only the excess over the amount paid is gross income. Where's your authority to exclude anything much less labor or any other property that I don't have a cost in from any money or property and they'll penalize you for asking. And now I got a bunch of cases, including four Supreme Court cases that say the law is it has to provide for the exception if you want an exception to the term any money or property. Coincidentally, those four victories by the government in the Supreme Court, when they interpret the term any property as all expansive, the government wins. What a coincidence. So when the government wins, any or any property means all of it. But if the government loses, oh, well, uh, we have an exception. Um, labor's an exception because if we don't make this exception, we lose. And so we're just going to make an exception out of thin air, but the law doesn't allow them to, which was the decision in the four cases the government won in the Supreme Court. No, the law has to make an exception. One of them, the one I like, is Monsanto. U.S. versus Monsanto. Uh, Monsanto was a heroin manufacturer and distributor. He got caught uh, doing it, and they seized any property. And he said, hey, you got to leave. I need attorney's fees. You took all my property. And they said, well, the drug forfeiture law says we can seize any property. And he went all the way to the Supreme Court saying, you got to leave me attorney's fees. Hey, come on. And the Supreme Court said, no, I'm sorry. That happens to all the heroin dealers. But sadly, the law says they can seize any property in any means, all of it. And so the government wins. When the government wins by interpreting the term any money or property all inclusively, you can have it. All those cases, they count. But when the government loses, through a broad interpretation of the term any property, oh, you can't have that. And they're allowed to just arbitrarily do what they choose. When the Supreme Court in Monsanto said there's no exception in the law for attorney's fees, 
And so we can seize all of it. So uh, there's the split right there. Uh, why not in tax court? Why not in federal court? Because the law doesn't count. They get the money. It'll only count in a criminal case when you have a trial jury or a jury trial. Um, when you have a grand jury. And even then, if they get the indictment, they're going to steamroll you because the judge is to decide issues at law and every judge is as corrupt as the day is long. You can't have it. And so you have to preempt them. And that's where Chris and I have seen criminal investigations halted, by, uh, criminal investigations by the IRS halted and grand juries shut down because people subscribe to these findings and there they've proven in ways that the government can't refute that the tax code is just fine. They don't want a defendant like that in trial going, hey, listen, I even complained to Congress about these findings and no one denies a word of it. What are we doing here? They don't want a defendant on the stand that's able to say that. And so preemptively is where we focus our attentions. And uh, I never mentioned common law once. And I've been in this 28 years. On the 15th of next month marks 28 years. I've never mentioned common law. I'm a code pleader. So uh, I found my common law rights were codified a long time ago. I use statute only. Law is fine. And when there's an unconstitutional statute, I make those constitutional challenges. So if... This is the way attorneys do it. Even when they're arguing before the Supreme Court, seldom does it come up a matter of common law, ever. So I just don't use common law at all. Okay, gang. Okay, well, it's, um, it is uh, at the hour. Uh, we've been on for about an hour, so... If there's no more uh, questions, uh, whistleblower, not protester, tax code correct, ap application lover. That's right. Thank you. Yep. Amen. Yep. The, uh, okay. and, you I'll know, see you later. Okay. Thanks, David. Okay. I'll see you later. Okay. Bye. The, um, you know, I, I got to say, you know, I stood on this now since 2006. I've done, you know, UCCs. I've done uh, bills of exchange. I've done promissory notes. I've done Pete Hendrickson's thing, uh, which, oh, I, I had told Dave in the past I never did that, but I did. I, I found paperwork. I even forgot about it, you know. Um, the... Um, that was a fast thing in my life. Um, the um, uh, I got rid of all that. You know, it's all good to know. You know, I mean, I got books. Uh, you know, the, the government manual says that you know every every state is a country, and like I'm a Floridian. You know, I'm not a, a citizen of the United States, but. Why argue that? They're, they're, they're just going to override it because they're coming from somewhere that I don't know. And, you know, in, in regarding the birth certificate and all that, a lot of people are doing these days. 
Uh, you hear that, you know, the birth certificate was pledged and, you know, they borrowed a bunch of money. And, you know, I, I believe that concept to be true, um, but I can't prove it. Can you? Can anybody on this call prove beyond a shallow of doubt that they take your birth certificate and monetize it and you're worth so many millions of dollars and you can write you know, checks on that or whatever. It just doesn't make, it just doesn't, um, there's nothing to touch on that. And I've heard the best of the best teaching it. Um, Jack Smith, Gordon Hall. I mean, look at where Gordon is, okay? You know, how much, you know, uh, I, I guess his birth certificate wasn't enough. You know, there's so much of this stuff. And and yet there's nothing to, to put your hands on. This here, what David has to offer on wevgov.com. It's wevgov.com. It you can you can put your hands on it, you can argue it, you can use it to your benefit, for your defense, as well as is for your offense, which which is the way that I use it. Because I can prove what they can't prove, and I can prove it that they're committing extortion, they're committing fraud, they're committing oh, a list of crimes, and that's the kind of attitude you need. And in closing, I'd just like to say, you know, in my e- emails, you see me doing about crowdfunding. You know, anybody that wants to make about ten grand within the next ninety days, get with me. But be able to roll up your sleeves and get to work. If not, don't bother, okay? I mean, you know, uh, that's just the way it is. So with that being said, um, Monday is going to be the closing date to join the criminal complaint. Um, Excuse me, the, the lawsuit, the civil lawsuit. And look for the email about when we're going to have this testimonial call. I'd like to get some participants uh, lined up and scheduled, and I'll let you know more when I know how many there's going to be. So with that being said, God bless America, and this call is officially over. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.